Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss X-Men number 60, the September 1969 issue, titled In the Shadow of Sauron. Dun, dun, dun. Well, I'm a little dinosaur. I'm a There's a header on this particular issue which claims that these are the strangest teens of all. Although if you turn to the first page, it's the most unusual fighting team of all time. Haven't both of these monikers been used in the past? I believe so. Okay, so we're just kind of, it's it's a callback, if you will. A nod to the classic. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Sauron does not look like a big eye here. He looks like a giant bat. Strangely enough that you say that, the original design for Sauron was of a bat. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because he's a quote-unquote living vampire. Oh. But the comics code did not allow you to have vampires in, in the, at this time. Get out of here. So they, I, they either ran it by the comics code or they just figured they weren't going to bother running it by the comics code because having Sauron be a bat... And the living vampire was just too close to being a vampire. Wow. So instead of going with the vampire, they decided to make him a pterodon. Yep. Jumping a little ahead there. Did pterodons have prehensile tails? I don't know. Because <laughs> this guy's got like a forked tail and everything. It's crazy. It's practically a shovel. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I don't know. So uh, there's definitely an interesting design going on here. And this particular fellow seems to have his sights set on Angel because Angel's head is bursting in a flash of yellow electricity or something. Looks like he's beak blasting him. Yeah, and it's giving uh, Warren a, a mighty migraine. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the X-Men kind of look back in shock. Oh, my gosh. This is a pretty weak cover for the last few issues. Yeah. It's not, it's not great. It's just like the back of Sauron, presumably, and a, a very in, immemorable uh, shot of the X-Men on top of a building. Very generic, I think. Not the best of Neil Adams. No. When I was a kid frequenting one of my comic shops, this was one of those wall books where I'd look up and I'd be like, wow, that's an old comic book. <laughs> You know, and at the time it was probably going for like fifteen bucks, and I was like, "Oh no way! There's no way I can afford that." <laughs> and so I don't have it. <laughs> Subsequently, anyways, uh, let's flip this guy open. This is number sixty, the big six zero, right? So that's sort of monumental, right, for X Men issues and and maybe us a little bit. Yeah, we're right? starting. We're we're getting close to the sort of end. <laughs> close to the end of the beginning, or something, right? This issue is brought to you by Roy Thomas and Neil Adams, Tom Palmer. Uh, that's your writing and artistic team with Sam Rosen doing the lettering. Stanley, of course, edits. We open with a 
page of a, it's, it's very difficult to explain. <laughs> yes, it is. A man stands over another man. The, uh, the other man is lying down passive. Asleep, maybe. He seems to be reasonably unconscious. Uh-huh. Possibly. The standing man appears to be cackling. Yep. On either side of the passive man are two crystal balls that the standing man has g- grasped with both hands, uh, one with each hand. Mm-hmm. And there's some sort of electricity, uh, some sort of machine in the middle with a couple of, a couple of circles directly above the passive man's head. I like to think that they're attached to his nipples, but I don't think they are. and the caption reads what is the sound of evil listen do you hear it in that harsh electrical crackle in the ominous hum of hidden generators listen is it there in the morbid maniacal laughter which echoes through dark manhattan corridors listen do you hear it now and will the mutant x-men hear it also will they know it for what it is in time Roy Thomas goes a little nuts this issue. <laughs> and this is just the very beginning diatribe that he writes down here. Like, I don't know what any of this means. Ever since the Sentinels flew into the sun, he's been all like waxing poetic. Ah, there you go. He's like, man, that was really, really good of what we did. We're so smart and intelligent. Let's keep writing. Let's, get, let's, let's make this a deeper book. Neil, what do you think? Share whatever you say, Roy. <laughs> Sure, dude. <laughs> yeah, so when we last left, uh, the X-Men were calling Dr. Lycos to get help for um, Havoc because Havoc was uh, hurt from blowing up, well, the mountain or whatever he did. And then so the guy that they had called apparently was a friend of the professor's and was watching another man die, I think. Yeah, he had some man chained up against the wall who by the third panel had passed out. Passed out or died. Right. Oh, you think it was passed out? I guess it is a comics code issue, so maybe... Well, I don't know, because as we go through this book, I would like maybe for us to try to relate back to the happenings of those last three panels, if at all possible. Okay. <laughs> uh, because I don't think it is, but we'll continue I don't think on. it is either. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll continue on here. Um, so then we flip to... A nice two-page spread of uh, panels that spread across both pages, which makes it unbearable to read on the iPad, but probably looks <laughs> nice in your omnibus. Yeah, it looks pretty good. Yeah. It's basically a re- uh, kind of a recap of what happened last issue. The X-Men are now leaving the Sentinel lair, and the uh, the evil mutants that were captured and all the other mutants that are captured are still in tubes. Mm-hmm. Larry Trask sits on the floor, stunned. Apparently, he doesn't remember he's a mutant, according to this. Well, Dr. Chalmers first says that he cannot go back to Manhattan with the X-Men because he has to undo the damage that uh, the Sentinels caused and ultimately that Judge Chalmers caused as well in his witch hunt for mutants. And then they do refer back to Larry Trask and say that he's in shock. He's not quite sure of what's going on. And the only way to make sure that uh, this is solidified is by reapplying the medallion, which will erase all uh, memory of what has happened and ease his inner torment. So that's handy. Yeah. (laughs) 
And uh, so apparently Judge Chalmers is going to, after he takes care of the evil mutants in their tubes, uh, Larry Trask is also going to go back to Manhattan and undo the, I guess, laws or whatever legislation was written up uh, anti-mutant-wise. But meanwhile, the X-Men jump into one of the Sentinel ships and fly off to meet Professor's friend, who apparently was involved in an enterprise called Project Mutant. Right. Hmm. Sounds pretty exciting. Beast, of course, knows how to fly this advanced flying machine. Well, he saw one of the Sentinels do it, so he was like, I can figure that out. Now, when we last saw this ship, we saw a Sentinel getting out of it, and I thought we established that Sentinels were, well, at the very least, four times the size, and sometimes 20 times the size of a human being, yet they're sitting in the cockpit of what was holding a Sentinel, and doesn't look like there's room enough. It doesn't look, the, the cockpit doesn't look even double their size. Well... Well, the Sentinels can fly, so what do they need jets for in the first place? Well, because they were transporting uh, Wanda, Quicksilver, and Toad. So maybe the Sentinels sit in it with the cockpit open, they're like halfway out? <laughs> it's like a convertible for them. Right. I suppose. Why would they even need a cockpit? In fact, why do they need any of this? Couldn't they, like if they need the extra towing capacity, couldn't they just like have a uh, like a luggage rack attached to the back of them <laughs> that they snap onto their ass or something. And then they just fly back to their mountain. I'm like, here we are. Apparently this, this leaves for a nice handy spaceship for the X-Men to fly around in. Which is good. Cause they just lost their last one. Yeah. And the Avengers are none too happy about that. So they decided to pick up, um, Lorna and Alex, but they left uh, Banshee behind with all the evil mutants. Right. Well, Banshee started out as an evil mutant, so they don't even give him the benefit of the doubt. They don't. They don't trust him. Yeah. Okay. He's not worth our trouble. <laughs> so they go on and talk a little bit about Doctor Lycos, but they all admit that there's really not much to tell. The files were incomplete, um, but they know that he's the only fish, physician that they can trust. Angel is upset that uh, this is probably because mutants are considered outlaws and it's just not right. It's not fair. We get another one of those wordy panels, which reads, X-Man, mutant, homo superior, words that pale the cheek of a doubt-plagued humanity which has ever hated the new, the strange, the different, feared it as creatures have always feared those who may one day replace them. And who is to say that mankind is wrong? What did the last Neanderthal say to the first Cro-Magnon? It just sounds like the beginning of a joke. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it doesn't get answered either. I don't know. I want to know what happened with the, what the last Neanderthal said to the first Cro-Magnon. Tell me. What's the punchline? I'll bet you it's funny. Well, anyways, uh, so Cyclops is talking about you know his brother dying and possibly there being red tape. So that's why they got to take um, uh, Havoc to this Dr. Lycos guy. But that's when Beast points out that... Um, no need to point, Dauntless Leader, because as Cyclops is talking about that, he points off-panel. And then Beast says, the X, this X-Man sees the police copter up ahead and is already commencing evasive action. And in the next panel, we see some uh, you know, jet blaster trails uh, indicating that there was evasive action, but they're in the middle of the mountains. Like, why was there a police copter in the middle of the mountains? And why don't we ever get to see the police copter? <laughs> this just seems like maybe the Marvel method went awry in which, you know, I, 
this panel with Cyclops like pointing off screen saying, meanwhile, my brother could die strangled by red tape. I mean, that by itself is fine. <laughs> like, I don't know why Beast needs to talk about an ex-copter. I mean, a police copter. And then the next yeah, panel could seems... just signify. The next panel could just signify that, like, hey, we're learning how to fly this crazy new spaceship. Wee. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So, it... well, they offer to drop Lord of Dane off, and she says, "No, I'm an, I'm an X Man now." Yeah. Deal. And and as far as that other little poetic blurb, it's as if Roy Thomas wrote two intros to this book, and it was like, I can't decide which to keep, so I'm going to use them both <laughs> because it's so out of place here. Uh, anyways, the the this issue has a, actually a lot of weird pacing problems. Like yeah. for instance, we turn to the next page and we we cut from Lorna Dane saying that she's now with the X Men to presumably the man who was passive in my description earlier mm-hmm. wakes up. You're a miracle worker, Doctor Lycos. Yeah. He didn't know that he was under hypnosis. Apparently, uh, the, the idea is that he goes in for hypertension. Dr. Lycos hypnotizes him, and when he awakens, while he's a little sleepy, he's cured of his hypertension. Uh, right. But we don't see the weird nipple clamps we described earlier or those additional balls to the left or the right. So who knows? Plus, the man in the very first panel, to me, while he had the same uh, descript eyebrows, looked bald turning back now <laughs> look at him now doesn't he look bald doesn't he look mm-hmm. like a doesn't he look like a deranged oh actually i see i see a hairline now yeah there's a hairline there okay. it could it could be just a shadow but yeah. I, i'm pretty it's it's, it's a it's, hairline it's well, a hairline it's all colored in this yellow green color so you really can't tell where the hair and the skin starts and ends but okay it's hair i'll give him that this patient who is now leaving looks terrible in this next panel. He looks like he's been, he's, he's, if, if you'll, if you don't mind me saying, he looks like he's had the life drained out of him. <gasps> what I do like about the previous panel, though, is as the guy gets up, the other guy in your description, his foot crosses into the third panel. And it's kind of, oh, yeah. it's a really good perspective, I think. It's unnecessary, but it's a, it's a good perspective shot. Yes. So what do you make of this guy's eyebrows? He has similar eyebrows to Charles Xavier. Oh. Well, these are a lot bushier. I mean, they're very pointy like the professors, but I don't think the professors were as pointy, were they? I feel like they were. They just weren't as bushy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was definitely some, like, length to the professors on the ends, but they just weren't as full as this guy. So maybe they're brothers. Yeah. <laughs> Although I Yet another that. Xavier brother. Sure. So then something happens because um, Dr. Lycos is wearing a green suit. He's not wearing any sort of headgear. But in the next panel, after his patient leaves, he's working with Gene and Cyclops, and he's got one of those, like, uh, dentist mirror things on his forehead. Well, I think there's a time lag in between these two panels. Yeah, but it's just terrible because, like, There's sentences that bleed over from one panel to the other panel, which to me looks like it's a continuation of what just happened. Yeah, it's not well executed. Now, if you'll excuse me, dot, 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 does not bleed directly into a few ribs that need mending, but he'll be all right. Rather, there should be like many minutes later or something like that. Yeah, anything. A few scant minutes later. Anything. Well, anyway, so the uh, Dr. Lycos is prescribing some... Well, he's not really prescribing, but he's saying that uh, he'll take care of 
Alex, uh, but he requires pay, uh, he requires privacy. And Cyclops is kind of like, hey man, I'm I don't know about that. I I uh, you've been watching too much Ben Casey. Do you know what that is? Well, I know that there was a newspaper strip about a, a doctor called Ben Casey, mm-hmm. and it was drawn by Neil Adams at some point during its storied career. But that's all I know. Well, Ben Casey was also a character on a show, uh, and he played a doctor, and his name was Doc Casey. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah. Adam, before we continue much further, I have a question I need to ask you. Go for it. Is today your birthday? It is. Hey, Adam, it's your birthday. I'm in charge of the stars, and I'm here to say, Hey, Adam, you're the big star today. My name is Zoom, and I live on the moon. But I came down to Earth just to sing you this tune. Cause, Adam, it's your birthday today. A present for you I wanted to find An outer space creature, a one of a kind A wild womp, or a kookle chew A snaffle crop, or a buzzer smooth Or maybe a three-eyed tickle shake For your birthday Well, happy birthday on the podcast, many weeks late well, because today is your birthday, but when this airs, it won't be your birthday. Right. So, happy it's birthday. It's a shame. <laughs> why didn't thank you, you. Why didn't you say something sooner? Because I forgot. Oh, <laughs> I forgot that today is my birthday. It's just another day. Well, you know, you did the podcast on your birthday, so I figured I, I had to do the podcast. On my, I didn't want to do this, but oh. <laughs> oh, I had to cancel all my plans. <laughs> There's like a party happening downstairs without me. <laughs> Everyone's drunk and having a good time. There's a bunch of ladies in the corner playing strip poker, just waiting for you. No, I got to go do this podcast. I'll be back. My birthdays aren't that much fun. <laughs> oh. oh, I'm sorry. I was I kind of dozed off there for a moment. <laughs> Okay. Well, anyways, back to the podcast. Ben Casey was a TV character. Moving on. Marvel Girl's like, hey, Cyclops, don't argue with the doctor. We can't really do anything for Alex. Let's go. Besides, it's a lovely day, just the kind for driving away the cobwebs. Always know what's right for somber summers, don't you? All of a sudden, Marvel Girl and Cyclops seem like a couple, which... Hasn't been touched or or dealt with in quite a few issues, but and then Cyclops says, "When I think of all the time we wasted, just because I had a hang-up about my optic blasts." Wait, what? <laughs> so we will never hear Cyclops complain about his optic blasts again. Oh yes, we will. But the thing here that we're missing is like we spent not fifty-nine issues, but a good chunk of fifty-nine issues. Talking about and reading about and wondering about the ultimate relationship and hookup of Jean Grey and Scott Summers, and what it have it happens off panel. That's what that's what is seeming to be implied here. When I, I mean, she's got her arm around his arm. When I think of all the time we wasted, like we could have been together from the get go, but I was so hung up on my optic beams. What? I don't know. Okay, so then 
apparently Warren's loaned them the Maverick, which is a car of some sort, and they drive back to the mansion, and Marvel Girl says, the others will be glad to know the... Know what? I think it's the others will be so glad to know that Alex is okay. Oh, okay. That's still so weird. It, it is weird. It took me a while to even figure out that they weren't in the same place in the first panel that they ended up in in the third panel. Yeah, yeah. So they get back to the mansion, they go inside, and they think to themselves that it's just too quiet. Well, Scott thinks it's too quiet. Yeah. He's just paranoid, and, and Gene doesn't. She's like, what's wrong, Scott? So if they're presumably a couple, do you think they share a room? No, it's no. <laughs> do you do you think that they've they've they they do you think they've they did it? I no. Maybe like Roy Thomas was like, I know there's something going to be called jumping the shark, and it usually happens after the two main characters do it. Therefore, we're going to get them together, but we're never going to show that moment. They're not even they they haven't even kissed yet. They're just oh. dating. Oh, they did it in the 60s. <laughs> okay, good point. They're not allowed to kiss until they get married. <laughs> so apparently Cyclops forgets where the danger room is, as Marvel Girl reminds him. Well, he's wandering through the halls going, nobody even answers my call. So he's clearly going like, Beast, Iceman, where are you guys? And then he hears something behind a door and, you know, rushes to open it. And Gene has to tell him, don't you remember that extra thick door leads to the danger room, dumbass? <laughs> I don't know why I date you. <laughs> <laughs> and he walks in on the danger room session and gets, like, I guess blasted. Yeah, he gets knocked over by, it actually looks like some Havoc power, but it's not. It's just random black bubbles. Angel says, he calls them zapped by our welcome mazers. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Welcome, Mazers. It's Psyche, home from the wilds of Manhattan. They all wonder about Alex, and uh, Cyclops says, hey, he's, he's, Dr. Lycos says he'll li- outlive us all. Beast asks uh, Cyclops if he wants to join in the danger room session, and Cyclops says, yeah, I will. I'll be right back. He goes to change, presumably. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we get some more Danger Room hijinks, Iceman doing some Iceman stuff, practicing his Silver Surfer moves. Mm-hmm. Beast rescuing him a little bit. There's a little bit of uh, witty banter between the two of them. Beast tosses Iceman to Angel. Iceman's looking like a total tool. And Marvel Girl says, uh, it, it would appear that Bobby doesn't like being shown up in front of his girl. To which Lorna replies, Bobby's fun, Gene, but I'm nobody's girl. Hmm? I hope I'm not around when you lay that on Mr. Drake. So I, I kind of flipped back a little bit. I think it was issue 54, maybe, when they finally brought Lorna back to the mansion. And it certainly seemed at that time that uh, Lorna and um, Iceman would, were, were to be a couple based on their interactions with one another. Well, apparently Lorna... Uh, appreciates his company, but uh, she's not ready to settle down. Yeah, no worries, no worries. I uh, assume that Iceman will, after he hears the bad news, which may or may not be this issue, he'll go running to Zelda. (laughs) She'll go into a deep depression, probably, knowing Iceman. (laughs) Could be. Some explosive depression. Why? (laughs) Anyways... 
uh, Marvel Girl says, well, you know, in the meantime, how about we put the squeeze on the so-called stronger sex? Yeah, the girls are going to ante up the the danger room powers Mm -hmm. because they like messing with the boys. Heck, yeah. Marvel Girl points out that there's a a, uh, switch behind the wall. And Lorna says that this would be a great time for her to activate it magnetically because somehow, even though her powers had faded before, uh, they now feel somehow rejuvenated. Which, okay, so we've closed that storyline. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Suddenly a bunch of metal tentacles fly out at Angel and Iceman, but then Cyclops, fully wearing his uniform, starts blasting at them, and Iceman throws a nice uh, snowball in Angel's face. Yeah, because I guess Angel's still making fun of Iceman or treating him like a kid. Yeah, Iceman's Iceman's ticked off. But Iceman gives Cyclops a ride back down to the ground level, or so it would appear. Now care to to hitch a ride, Syke? Don't mind if I do, son. Since when has Cyclops started calling people son? (laughs) It's like a Captain America thing to do. (laughs) I think, well, I think Beast has referred to Iceman many times as son. Well, that's, that's, you know, Beast has done that, so I can can accept that from Beast. But this is like, I feel like it's the first time Cyclops has done it, and it doesn't feel right. Look, he's got a girl on his shoulder. He's the leader of a team. Nobody's in danger. Things are looking Cyclops' way. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to let a little slang out. Don't mind if I do, son. Beast starts wondering what happened to all of the other mutants who uh, Larry Trask and the Sentinels captured, and we get a, a panel of all of them... Um, just standing around <laughs> looking confused and uh, tired. Just hanging and out. Looks like Mastermind is hitting on Scarlet Witch. Or um, or I thought Scarlet Witch, Toad, and Quicksilver were rescued by the X-Men, but I guess not. Yeah. They must have been recaptured. Yeah, they were recaptured. And then the uh, editor, Stan, decides to point out that the Vanisher was captured off-panel. And that's why you now see him in, in this area. Yeah, Lorna mentions that from what you told me, all your old sparring partners were there except Magneto and the Changeling. Hmm, interesting. How did they escape, I wonder? So there was a weird uh, syntax here. Um, Scotty's little sentinel analogy will set me pondering just how our brother mutants reacted when Judge Chalmers ushered them back from Dreamland. Okay, you already read that. Blah, 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 blah. Magneto Changeling. Okay, then Beast goes on to say, Pardon me if I don't share your curiosity, Pandora. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. It's his nickname for Lorna Dane. Is that? No, is that? That's Marvel Girl. Okay. It's Lorna Dane using Marvel Girl's powers. It's a mistake. (laughs) No, No, that's... Well, okay. It's Marvel Girl who's like levitating uh, Iceman like a genie or something. He's like floating. Right, but it's clearly Lord Nodane dialogue that, coming out oh. of Marvel Girl's mouth. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even realize that. Okay, so then she goes on to say, I, how did they escape? I wonder. Pardon me if I don't share your curiosity, Pandora, but I prefer to dwell on thoughts of a room full of irascible ex-sailmates. It'll be a cold day in Helsinki before any of them come out of concealment again. What does that mean? 
let's see. It'll be a cold day in Helsinki before any of them comes out of concealment means that they probably won't come out of hiding because of the Sentinels, I guess. I don't know why that makes logical sense, but Beast thinks it does. I prefer to dwell on thoughts of a room full of irascible ex-cellmates. I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. I, I understand the irascible ex-cellmates, but I don't know why he prefers to dwell on those thoughts. Well, it seems to me that Beast is making the assumption, and maybe I'm just reading too far into this, that Judge Chalmers is leaving the evil mutants holed up in their tubes. Because that would be concealment if they were concealed in their tubes. Right? Yeah, I don't I don't think that's what All it right. means. But. The whole statement just doesn't make any sense because none of them are concealed. Um, a thought with which to regale Alex during his post-operative period. In other words, as soon as Alex is healed, we can say, Hey, buddy, you're better. You went through quite an ordeal. But all those evil mutants, they're locked up. You don't have to worry about them, but they're not. Okay, so basically... Uh, Lorna Dane is saying Magneto and Changeling, I wonder what happened to them. And then B says, oh, I don't care about them. I prefer to think about uh, all of all of our ex-cellmates because they're probably not going to come out of oh. and be villains again. Okay. I like Banshee in this panel. He's just kind of hanging out. Yeah, he don't he's care. He's got a little pipe coming out of his mouth and he's just like, I wonder why the X-Men left me. Living Pharaoh, he's just like, oh my god, what's going on? Oh, that's who that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bald guy there with the... Yeah, yeah. The, I, I couldn't remember. Uh, yeah, the, okay. Uh, Mesmero is kind of like hunched over, still still upset that he was following a, a mechanical Magneto. Why? <laughs> Vanisher's just hanging out. Oh man, not again, he thinks. <laughs> Blob is recovering from a hangover. Uh, Eunice is ready to... He's ready to punch somebody. <laughs> As you said, Mastermind is flirting or something with uh, Scarlet Witch. Uh, Quicksilver is ready to fight somebody, as is Toad. And there's Judge Chalmers, who I would have to imagine that a group of evil mutants such as this would literally steamroll this man or just, like, <laughs> rip him limb from limb, you know? And at the top, we have Larry Trask sitting in a chair facing away from everybody. And he'd be next. I mean, this room should be, like, painted with these guys' guts. No. You know, Banshee, Quicksilver, and Scarlet Witch will protect them. Okay. All right, well, we move on to uh, Dr. Lycos's, I guess, operating table or something. And he says that Alex's wounds have been bandaged so that the so the nurse may leave for the day. And she says it's so early to which he responds... Early, on the contrary, Massage, it may be later than you think. Much later than anyone dares think. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. That is the second bit of dialogue from, from Lycos that doesn't make any sense. The first one was when he was talking to, uh, well, he, he says, drop back later tonight, much later to Cyclops when he's taking care of Alex. Yeah. That's just, that's just kind of creepy. And then apparently Miss or Nurse Hodge takes off, and, uh, and Doctor Lycos apparently likes to wax poetic when he's by himself because he just goes on and on and on and on. Yeah, we get we get a uh, we get an origin story of sorts where we're introduced to his father, uh, who is a 
guide, some sort of explorer's guide for a man named Herr Anderson and his daughter. Uh, Tanya or something? Tanya, yes. Uh, one day, they're in the icy colds of the Antarctic uh, in a in a area area called Tierra del Fuego, the land of fire. And uh, one day, Tanya goes missing, and everybody goes searching for her. And they end up splitting up, and young Carl Lycos finds Tanya in a cave surrounded by pteranodons, uh, which he beats with a bat one by one. <laughs> he kills them. they come down. I had never heard of a flying monster called the pterodon before that maddening moment when I slew one. I remember all but nothing of the unequal battle which followed, nothing save those eyes gleaming in the half-light, the flapping of hell-born wings, and the harsh, unholy screech that filled the gloom when I struck the second of the beasts. This is dark. There's a lot of that that goes on, and... He he beats all of them to death, all the Tyrannodans. There's like there's like eight of them. There's like eight of them, Adam. I know. <laughs> this guy. I mean, look at in this panel alone. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, and yeah, and he's already taken on two. He's a machine. He is uh, very weak as he returns Tanya to Herr Anderson, who uh, swears that he will forever take care of Carl. Oh, because Herr Anderson is the doctor, right? Right. Okay. So he's got wounds, lacerations and such, but Herr Anderson, he patches him up, fixes him up. and Well, he says he may not last the night. So he does everything that he can, but he's still pretty sure that he's not going to make it. And his father says, No, all my plans, all my dreams have only been for him. Fight, my son. Fight against the shadows that surround you. Wow. Wish my dad would talk about me like that. <laughs> I don't think his plans or his dreams have ever been for just me. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty noble fatherly thing to do. No kidding. Carl Lycos has dreams of pteranodons, and then he wakes up, and he's super weak, and he calls his dog Jagger or Jager. I don't know. It doesn't have umlauts, so it can't be Jager. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Jager's fine. He goes to pet his dog, and then siphons away his like power, uh, he and he or his energy. I guess I feel better somehow. But Jagger seems weak, limping away. Come back, and then in a caption, Jagger never came near me again. And the poor dog, it's not fair. No, he looks like a like a loyal hound dog in the first panel, and then in the last panel, he just looks like this decrepit, mangy dog. Yeah, stupid kid. And uh, everybody's like, Herr Anderson, you are a miracle worker. You saved Carl's life. Tell us what kind of creature attacked you. And uh, Dr. Lycos, or Carl Lycos at this point, he does not remember, or maybe he won't tell anybody. Who knows? So time goes on, and he, he begins to learn of his ability to drain energy from people. His father, uh, Carl Lycos' father, eventually dies, and he moves in with Herr Anderson, who has always been grateful for him saving Tanya. Tanya and Carl form a little relationship of sorts, but uh, Carl's not good enough for Tanya, according to her father's eyes. Um, And then there's a panel of him reading The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien. I didn't even see that. That makes sense. it'll, It'll come into play later. Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> so he goes off uh, 
to make a better he make a man of himself and make a man of means of himself and um it doesn't turn out to work. We get a series of panels of just him learning to siphon the life out of various patients, which apparently he's been doing for years, trying to figure out what to do with himself. Apparently he needs to do this in order for himself to stay alive. Yeah, I, I kind of, I didn't realize that at first, but I kind of gather that eventually. Oh, also Tanya and him kind of keep in seldom contact, but a little bit of contact and, Apparently, the letters say that Tanya still loves him and that he would do anything to gain a fortune that will make her mine. So Harry Anderson just needs a man with money to come marry Tanya, I guess. Yeah. Well, and and I think it's partially Carl Lycos' own humility. Could be. He now reveals that he's always felt that human mutants are the answer to his dilemma and that if he was to be able to drain them, he might, I don't know, somehow it would be different. Mm-hmm. So that's somehow along the line he hooked up with Charles Xavier, who wanted to train such specimens. But Dr. Ka- or Dr. Lycos was along for his own reasons, which was to, I don't know, study mutant physiology and to see if this could satiate his hunger for life force or something like that. So he uh, he drains Alex uh, Summers of, of uh, life energy, I guess. Yeah, and so th- we do recall now back to that opening panel of the, the various balls to the left and the right of the patient's head. So Yes, now we understand that this machine is a life-siphoning device. But why does he need it? I mean, it looked like he could... Oh, that panel, that four panels series is him setting up this contraption. Yeah. Okay. All my money, all my resources were siphoned into the ever more elaborate electronic apparatus needed merely to keep me alive by robbing my hypnotized patients of their vitality, their raw energy. Hmm. Okay. So siphoning the energy from Alex, he, he goes until he can bear no more. And then he transforms into a pteranodon. Pteranodon. As one would. (laughs) I guess. And he talks about his body, his face, his soul. They're changed, transformed, filled with a bursting, billowing power. Power for good or power for evil. And I choose evil. (laughs) An evil so monumental that only one name. Of all the annals of literature will contain it. The name of Tolkien's ultimate villain, that dark lord who personified evil, who is truly evil incarnate, the name of Sauron. To which Tolkien's lawyers immediately called their lawyers up and said, Hey, Marvel, what the hell? That that actually did happen. Did it? Yeah, and Marvel ignored it. Oh, and there was no fallout? There was no fallout. Uh, I guess Roy Thomas regrets naming him that because it's pretty stupid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. But, I mean, they're probably running out of names. I mean, what's he going to call himself? Like, Tyranid- Tyranidan Man? <laughs> Tyranidan. <laughs> Tyranidan. Well, he's Dr. Carl Lycos. Carl? No, I can't come up with anything. Um, I, Actually, with a name like Carl Lycos, you'd think that he'd turn into a werewolf or something. We flip back to the mansion, and the newscaster is talking about a thief described having wings. 
police suspect a mutant, despite protests of federal jurist R.C. Chalmers. So Judge Chalmers is back uh, in in Washington or wherever he comes from, uh, trying to quell the mutant hysteria. But meanwhile, a winged man is what stealing purses. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> so this is what Sauron describes as ultimate evil is just like thievery. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I suppose what's the very first thing you do? You turn into a pterodon. You're like. I'm so angry that I'm going to use my power for evil. Like, what's the first thing you do? Go kill somebody? Booty a kill? Well, maybe he would go kill Hare Anderson. See, that would be maybe a a more understanding thing for him to do. I don't think he would do that, though, because he wants to... I think he's still... Well, I don't know if this has altered his perception at all, but it, he wanted to earn the respect of Hare Anderson, it seemed to me. Oh, and he needed money, so maybe he robbed a bank or something. Yeah. Okay, fine. Um, Angel is none too thrilled by this. First of all, it's a winged mutant, and he's already not a fan of this mutant hysteria that's floating around. So he wants to do something about this. And the other X-Men are like, you know, we just decided that we're going to lay low a little while until the mutant hysteria quells. But uh, Angel's like, no, I ain't doing it. Although we get an interesting dialogue here. Uh, what does your father pay high taxes for, Scott asks Angel. I'll tell you what he doesn't pay him for, pal. He doesn't pay him so that mutants can be accused of every unsolved crime this side of Judge Crater. <laughs> and then he whimpers to himself, but my dad's dead. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so here's the, uh, when we did that father, Angel's father issue, I spoke of an anomaly. Uh-huh. And this is that anomaly. The anomaly being that if that story were to take place after this story, Angel never puts on that costume again. Spoiler. Which, which costume? The costume he's wearing uh, at the beginning, uh, on this page, is the, this page he's wearing his usual yellow and red costume yeah. that Marble Girl made for him. This is the last time he will ever wear it. What costume does he wear in that, that three-parter? He wears this yellow and red costume. So if that story takes place after this story, you're saying he'll never wear the suit again? Why is that? Because he never does. How do you know? I looked ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay. I'm confused. Are you saying that it happens after the story or before the story? I'm saying it doesn't really fit. Oh, okay. All right. I'm just going to pretend that... Scott does not know that Angel's father is dead because he hasn't told him. Yeah. And that Angel's covering it up, and that's why he's so ticked off. Yeah. Yeah, because he doesn't actually whimper to himself, my dad is dead. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't acknowledge that at all here. Right. But he does say, maybe your back's broad enough to take it, Summers, but mine is covered with feathers. And he slams the door and shouts, and they've been ruffled! To which somebody brings out some baked potato ruffled chips and says, these things are excellent. <laughs> and uh, shortly after the X-Men start talking about his bark being worse than his beak, ha, 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 um, Angel bursts out wearing his old avenging angel outfit. And Beast says, uh, one should always be aware of sweeping generalities, Mr. Drake. They have a way of exploding on one's own s- uh, physiognomy. And that's when Angel comes in and says, 
Believe it, mister. <laughs> Especially when you're dealing with a flyboy who used to be called the Avenging Angel. Like, what did that sentence have to do with the previous sentence? Uh, you know. Or is he responding to Iceman's awe? His bark is worse than his beak, Scotty. I don't know what he's responding to. Believe it, mister. Well, they all go... Or, or, so Avenging Angel flies off. The X-Men, uh, the remaining X-Men, look out the window... And they don't really look all that worried. In fact, three of them are smiling. Yeah, they're pretty much like, uh, there goes Warren, uh, brother. This is probably going to be more than he can handle. Should we go after him? Yeah, we should go after him. <laughs> and there he goes. Meanwhile, Angel's flying around, and he comes across a winged green man in what he thinks in is in a pterodon costume and says, uh, you talk big behind that fright, mask gruesome. But let's see how you brag after a run-in with the Kamikaze Kid. Because apparently he's changed handles already. <laughs> and, uh, and Carl Lycos is carrying the purse that he just stole. Oh, it's a purse or a satchel. But yeah, he's done. Yeah, I don't think he just stole that. But I think <laughs> it's kind of funny that you said that. And he's, <laughs> he's, got a he's got a little purse. That's funny. I stole this purse! <laughs> it's the beginning of my fortune. Never mind that there's just a checkbook and a pack of Tic Tacs in here. You will never know, mutant, after you look into my eyes. Your eyes? You gotta be kidding. Sure, I'll look into them, and then I'm gonna... Your eyes! Your eyes! Next, the icy grip of death. Or, if you turn the page, next, the mutants or the monster? I don't know which. Hold on a sec. Yes, sir. If somebody tells you to look into their eyes, do you say, sure, I'll look into them, and then I'm gonna... Well, if you're the Avenger, you just like I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's it's, it's bad hokey hero dialogue, but I well, guess it's like uh, daring somebody to you know eat some worms. You know, you can't lose faith face in front of the enemy. You have to commit. <laughs> you want me to look oh. into your eyes? I'll look into your eyes, and nothing's gonna your eyes, your eyes. I don't know. Angel's clearly not thinking straight. I mean, he's put on his dumb old costume. He just got reminded that his father was killed. He's upset about this whole anti-mutant legislation stuff that's going on. He's just not thinking straight. You know what happens when you get stressed out? The blood vessels in your brain constrict, and you start. that's when you start acting irrational. Hmm. And that's what's happening to Angel. Okay. So, all things considered... I feel like this comic was a rush job. Yeah, it felt pretty weak compared compared to how the the previous few issues were kind of building up slowly and taking their time and breathing. Even the art seemed kind of rush, rushed on this one. The art was not good. The story was not great. The pacing was kind of awful in moments. What I did like about this issue, though, was as I was thumbing back, this is issue 60, the X-Men really haven't been at the mansion since issue 54, which would have been, I think, when they returned with Lorna Dane, or maybe there was a Blastar issue in there, but it, it's definitely been at least six issues since they've been back to the mansion, and I can't remember the last time they were in the danger room. Yeah, that's that's a good point. We're getting back to some of the cool stuff, like Scott and uh, Marvel Girl's relationship, which apparently all happened off screen <laughs> but I, it's nice and i think we'll see this l later on uh, in the chris claremont years is you'll have a run of things that happen and then you'll have that breather issue where you kind of do some character development you regroup and then you introduce the next big threat 
right? Which is kind of, this kind of sets, I think this is kind of the first issue that's really done that in the X-Men. Because in the past, it's just been like adventure after adventure after adventure after adventure after adventure. And then maybe a couple of pages at the Danger Room at the very beginning of the comic book, and then off into the adventure. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree with you 100%. So those are just my observations. Uh, but uh, it, overall, it's not really a great issue. And nothing really ties back to the ending of the last issue where the man was being tortured on the wall or dying or whatever. So Yeah, that's true. Apparently, you know, in addition to sucking life force from other creatures, he also likes to watch people die. <laughs> the only thing I can come up with. Yeah, he turned out to be not as menacing as you thought. That's correct. I was expecting a, a little bit more of a horror story, but maybe they set the stage for this whole like kind of scary vampire thing. And after they wrote the first draft, um, they're like, "This will never fly. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta back off on this a little bit." <laughs> maybe I don't know. Well, wella, wella, wella. Anything else to, to talk no, about sir. there? Okay. Uh, visit us at www.redcatproductions.com forward slash danger room. Go to www.facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast and join one of our currently 68 or 9 likes out there. Post a couple comments. We've got a little bit more activity going on there, so we always like to see people jump in and post their comments or answer other folks' questions. You can follow us at go at Danger Room Go. <laughs> That's our Twitter feed. At Danger Room Go. At Danger Room Go, which is also being uh, updated more frequently. So we would certainly like to see some people go out and follow us. Yes, thank you again to Edward Gibson. I think we have like twelve followers, <laughs> and I know that there's more people out there that like Twitter or use Twitter or something. And then, of course, for uh, you Apple users or people that uh, are fond of iTunes, go out to our iTunes page thing, whatever you want to call it, and uh, uh, give us a little a little rating there, if you would. Be so kind. And I think that's it. Or you can also email us at dangerroom at redcapproductions.com. Many ways to get a hold of us. And again, we're still soliciting some ideas uh, about what you would like to see covered between issues 66 and giant size number one. A little talk about the hidden years, maybe some of the other things that were going on in the X-Men universe. We've got some ideas, but we'd be happy to hear what you have, and perhaps we could incorporate them with what we're already thinking about doing. Yes, sir. Your Your dad just wished me a happy birthday on Facebook, in which he said, Adam, I got you Alice in Wonderland for your birthday. Hope you like it. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> um, and for those of you who get this and listen to the entire thing, you need to wish Adam a happy birthday, even though you'll know that it's two weeks too late. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. Okay, well, anything else, Adam? No, that's it. All right, until next week, the danger room is closed. Hi. Pteranodon, you say it. Pteranodon, and it means winged and toothless. That's right. In my beak, I have no teeth. Do you want to know a secret? Well, here it is. I'm not a dinosaur. <clears throat> That's right. I'm not a dino at all. I'm a flying reptile. I'm related to the dinosaurs, 
but not actually one myself. I guess I can't come to the dinosaur picnic now. See you later. Bye.